hey, Bible readers, welcome back to the Rooted Podcast. Uh, Jeremy is not here this week, uh, so this is Matt McClay here with Tim Yates, and we're going to be uh, going over your Bible reading for this week. If you're following the Bible reading plan, as a reminder, download the LMBC app, and that I've been going through the church's Bible reading plan this year uh, through the LMBC app, and it's, it's nice because when I wake up, I don't have to think about what am I going to read today. I, sit, I grab my Bible, I sit down in, in my chair, and I open the LMBC app, and it tells me what, you're going to tells read. Me what to read. <laughs> and this week, we're going to be looking at passages that deal with Jesus' second coming and the kingdom that Jesus is going to establish when He comes again. And we're beginning in Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel 7 is, is, a, is a prophetic chapter. Um, some of Daniel is historical and some of it is prophetic. Daniel was given, was given a vision, and in Daniel chapter 7, uh, we, see, we see Daniel's vision and his interpretation um, of that vision, and, and it, was a, it was a vision that, as you look, it, it, Daniel had almost an emotional response to the vision that he received. Well, it says that he was anxious, that he was alarmed. Um, at the end, it said that he was greatly alarmed, and his color changed. Uh, so, so this was this was a, a vision that that, that shocked him, um, and maybe Tim, you want to tell us a little well, bit about what he saw. If if you would see the Son of Man, and then <laughs> he came to the Ancient of Days, which is a reference to God the Father. The Son of Man is a reference to the Messiah of of Israel. Um, that would shake you up. And so, when I, I think of the passage where we begin in chapter seven and. Verse number 13, he says, He saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, and there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And uh, I have a note, study Bible, and here he is distinct, this you know, son of man, distinct from the Ancient of Days, who is the Eternal One, the, the Father, uh, who will, will coronate him for the kingdom, according to Daniel 2, 44. And so this is a picture of, of old age, so to speak, not that of being feeble, but it, it highlights his eternality, uh, divine wisdom, ancient of days. And those are incredible descriptions, aren't they? Absolutely. I have written down in my Bible, as a side note, Revelation 1.13, the, the revelation that was given to John when Jesus appeared before John on the Isle of Patmos. John uses the same language, similar language, I guess you could say, to describe Jesus as, as one who looked as a son of man. Uh, so we see Jesus' prophecy begins and ends with him. Uh, but, but Daniel sees some other things in, in this vision that is given to him. And he sees uh, four beasts um, who are four kings that are going to rise out of the earth. And uh, th there are several ways that scholars have, have, interpreted, have interpreted those beasts, but the fourth beast definitely seems to be the one that's the focus and the one that is, is, is maybe more terrible or t terrorizing to Daniel. Um, and it uses a lot of description that has to do with um, he was exceedingly terrifying. His teeth were iron, claws of bronze that he devoured and broke, uh, in which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. Ten horns um, on the other horn that came up before him. Um, 
that fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things. Um, and and we we know that this is this this beast represents the Antichrist. Yes. And and yes. his his kingdom of rebellion that he establishes before the uh, b- before the return of Jesus. Yes. And so. uh, he he verbally assaults. He makes these accusations and uses his his tongue. But I, I look at my MacArthur Study Bible. Who he identifies these these leaders over their empires. The first one would be Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Alexander the Great, and then he identifies the little horn, as you're saying, uh, as the Antichrist. And so these are these are key portions of Scripture, and it says that, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days. There he is, God the Father came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints, and I like this, possessed the kingdom. And so uh, that's pretty good good language. That's when the saints possessed this 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 kingdom and uh absolutely and we we can see from that from that portion of scripture that that even even the prophet daniel the the revelation that was given him the anticipation and the prophecy was that the the saints would not possess the kingdom until this antichrist was dealt with yes uh, so we see that we see a matter of timing there too that that right. we we are not we don't possess the kingdom today um, that is still something that even today is yet to come it's still future, and uh, when you read through the Gospels, and it's still future, Acts 1-5, where it's mentioned again, it's still future. Even when Zacchaeus, you remember, he, he came down, and uh, the disciples were keyed up uh, of you know bigger and better things, and Christ completely shut that down, that, that talk about the kingdom, because, hey, Zacchaeus just got saved. It's, it's more important than what you're talking about, the, the kingdom. And so, yes, we, we, we see what the Scripture is saying, and this, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And so as we move along in the text, uh, what do you think about this court that sits in judgment and so forth? Have you read those passages? Those are unusual <laughs> passages. And it, it establishes a, a pattern and a precedent that we're going to see in the rest of our reading this week is that when Jesus comes for his second coming, he, he begins by dealing with the nations. Yes. And, and nations are judged upon whether they, how they treated Israel, how they treated God's people. And, and we'll see very, that. That is very true. We'll see that, especially yeah. on, I believe it's Thursday, when we get to Matthew chapter 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see some specifics of that. Um, so, so Jesus here is pictured as as this the coming King, but he's gonna he's gonna begin by judging. Yes, um, he's gonna begin by establishing justice. I love verse twenty seven, and it says, "And the kingdom, and the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and o- obey Him." And then he says in verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, uh, my, my thoughts greatly, like you said, alarm me. And so that's true. Now also today, also for this first day, we're going to be reading in Zephaniah, uh, specifically chapter 3, verses 8 through 20. 
and there were there was one thing that really stood out to me, and and I'm sure there were some things that stood out to you too. But I noticed it's look this entire passage, um, prophecy again, looking to the future. But it's not just looking to the future in general, looking to the day or yes. that day. Yes. And you may want to do this too as you're reading through. I underlined every time this prophecy that was given references the day. Yes. That there is a the day of the Lord is coming, and that day is when Jesus comes and his feet touch earth for the second time. Mm-hmm. And and you see that throughout throughout the passage there. Um, see in verse eight um, it says therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for that day when I rise up to seize the prey pray, for my decision is to gather nations, assemble kingdoms and pour upon them my indignation. So yes. you see Jesus is once again judging the nations, yes. assembling the nations. Yes. And he says he's going to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time I will change the speech of, of the peoples to a sp- pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with with one accord. And these are powerful words describing what's going to happen at the particular time here in Zephaniah chapter 3, and it's still prophetic, still future. Yep, absolutely. And you see the importance of Israel in this passage too. As, As you go down to verse 16, it says, On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hand grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his his love. He will will exult over you with loud singing. There's this this promise that Jesus will restore Israel. Yes. And and that that is one of the central components to the second coming of Jesus. Verses 14 through 20, the Messianic era of millennial blessing and restoration of Israel. And you, you said it exactly. And he gives this this rejoicing and uh, he picks up at verse number 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. And then he says, the king of Israel for the Lord is in your midst. You shall never fear again. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. And so these are just really powerful, powerful words from from Zephaniah. As we keep going, the next day we're going to get into we're going to get into Joel, and uh, some for some of you uh, you may not make many forays into into the book of Joel. It's not it's not one that people usually. Um, start their their reading plan on, but one thing you'll notice as you get into their what they are called the, these minor prophets is how these minor prophets all speak to this same event, this same future thing where Jesus is returning. And we're in Joel chapter three, um, reading the entire uh, the the entire passage, and and we're not only looking at a time. In Joel, we learn we're looking at a place yes. where Jesus is going to execute yes. uh, execute that yes. judgment. Um, in in my note Bible, uh, in Joel chapter three verses one through twenty one, MacArthur says uh, Joel notes the national restoration of Israel, in which the people will be regathered in Israel. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
that's a, a good introduction, a concise statement to, to tell us what chapter 3 is actually talking about. And he says that in, in verse number 2, I'll gather all the nations and I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there, notice, and on behalf of my people, my heritage, Israel. And so uh, it's, it's about a special regathering for the people of God, gathered the people of Israel. We also notice this is still, this is a judgment of the nations. Verse 11, yes. it says, Hasten and come, all yes. you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the yep. nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Verse 14, this is a verse that sometimes is, is not always interpreted the right way. Uh, you, it's, it's lifted out of its context. When you read about, when we understand that this is a judgment of the nations, we see where it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This decision is, is not a decision that we are making. Right. It's not even a decision that these nations are right. making. It's a decision that Jesus is making as the judge when it's, he's judging the nations. It's already been made. Abs yep. This is the same location of the valley of Jehoshaphat, you know, where this sentence of, of judgment uh, will actually be carried out. And this is known as, what do we call this battle, this grand battle? Battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon. And so how often do we hear people talking about, you know, oh, this is Armageddon, you know, about present-day judgment yep, and so yep. forth. Well, this is, sure enough, a good southern statement. When you get to Joel chapter 3, description of this valley of Jehoshaphat and this battle of Armageddon. And so uh, it's pretty incredible. Absolutely. And the last verse there really reminds us that he says, I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So, yes. so this, this, this consolation, this restoration of Israel is going to happen at that, at that moment and at that, at that battle. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I think it's really interesting, verse number 17, where he says, So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And that little phrase, Zion, my holy mountain, this, is, uh, this, is, this will be the earthly location of, of God's presence in the millennial temple, uh, according to, to Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, and at Jerusalem, and it shall never again pass, the Bible says. So God, God promises this, this future uh, for, uh, for Judah and uh, Zion. So, and Maybe even before we move on, we should note that you, these aren't more than just being prophetic. These, these speak to us in our time as well. It reminds us of the faithfulness of God and these promises that God made to Abraham <laughs> thousands of years ago, he is still he is still faithful in those promises and blessing yeah. the nation oh. of Israel. We remember the promises that God leaves yeah, that, that Jesus has left to us. Um, those promises are still true because God is a faithful God, and we see His faithfulness yeah. on display well, here. In verse number twenty, he he says, "But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations." Well, you know, that, that phrase, we know about the Babylonian captivity, um, where Judah was taken to Babylonian captivity, but th this phrase is prophetic. This is a reference to Christ's millennial kingdom.
kingdom on earth, mm-hmm. which is yet to be fulfilled. And so Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. And so that, that helps us understand we're looking at uh, a future prophecy. And uh, so Joel chapter 3 is, is really a great chapter as you study this battle of Armageddon. And uh, it, it gets very descriptive. Now we're moving on to Zechariah, and we have two passages on, on this day. This would be on Wednesday uh, that we're reading in, in Zechariah. The first is Zechariah 2, um, cha- chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12, which is essentially the entire chapter. And then we move on to chapter 14. And chapter 2 begins with a, a vision that, that, that Zechariah is, is given by the Lord, and it's, it's very descriptive. It's, it's an interesting vision, um, and it's a vision of a man with a measuring line, mm-hmm. and Zechariah has, asks him, where are you going? And he says, to measure Jerusalem, to see its height, or to see its width and its length. And the angel who talked to me came forward and, and said to him, run, say to this young man, Jerusalem, almost like where we left off in Joel, will be inhabited as villages without walls because of multitude yep. of people and livestock in it. Uh, so, so we see this, pro- this prophecy, this promise is related to Jerusalem. Yes. It's related to Jesus' establishment of yeah. his kingdom. And verse number five is, is a great promise. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in the midst of her. And so that, that's uh, reassuring in this time of... Uh, prophecy. We also see in, in verse 8, Jesus or the Lord refers to Israel as the apple of his eye. Yeah. That's an important passage yeah. to remember here, even, even in times like to even in times such as today, you know, Israel is the apple of the Lord's eye. It says, of the nations who for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them. They'll become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come to you to dwell in your midst, and many nations, there's that national, will join themselves to the Lord in that day. Yes. And uh, So that is, uh, that is uh, an awesome chapter and as, as we even go back to that wall of fire all around mm-hmm. her uh, MacArthur even brings out a note that immediately they would think back to the exodus yep when God physically portrayed the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and God's always been a consuming fire and God spoke from the fire on the mount and so God's always in in this fire and so this was something very special to the nation of Israel uh, when he gave Zechariah chapter 2. But then when you get into chapter 2, you go over to chapter 14. Are we ready for chapter 14? I think 14? so. I think we're ready to, to and, move on here. Now, this is the same day we're reading Zechariah 14. It's the same day and we're so reading it, this on It's Wednesday. talking about the coming day of the Lord, mm-hmm. and immediately he addresses that in chapter 14. One, behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, 
and the houses plundered, the women raped. Half the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against these nations as when he fights a day of battle. And on that day, his feet shall stand where, Matt? On the we Mount of t- Olives. We'll we be getting talking that tomorrow, that. too, yeah. uh, in Matthew 24. Yeah. Um, what a beautiful sight, though. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And what's going to happen to the Mount of Olives? Well, the mountain turns into a valley. I mean, man, it just splits in two, and uh, it, it becomes a valley from east to west, a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward, and uh, the mountains are going to flee in this valley. It's going to part. And so it's a pretty incredible, isn't it? I, absolutely. I, one thing on my bucket list is I would love to travel to Israel and, yes. and stand there on the Mount of Olives and just think about the fact that one day the Lord's feet will touch the Mount of Olives and it will turn into a valley. I yes. feel like that would be an incredible place to, <laughs> incredible place to stand and, 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 and see, see firsthand. Uh, it, it's also interesting in, in verse 6, it says, On that day there will be no, no light, cold, or frost. It will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but in evening time there shall be that light, and living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea, and it shall continue in summer as in winter. So we see even the... I guess we can all believe in this kind of climate change, right? Even even the the directions of the water will will, will change, and and, and the topography of the the land will change. And that's big discussion on how that topography (laughs) is going to change. We can only imagine. I mean, when you split Mount Olives, uh, the the geographical conditions are going to be different. They sure will. Uh, We we see even in the beginning of it, I noticed in in chapter 14, it talks about God will gather the nations to battle so that we're we're back to, you know, all these passages are hitting on the same series of events, the same time, the second coming. This is the battle of uh, of Armageddon, and, and, you know, there's a lot of discussion in our day about justice. Right. And about about how to how to ma- how to make up for injustices that happened in the past, and nobody can ever come to an agreement on it because they they it, it always seems to another party to be unfair. And we see Jesus, we see Jesus meeting out justice for the way in which other nations treated Israel. And unlike our political attempts to to, to level the playing field, Jesus will meet out perfect justice yes. on that day. Yes. And the scripture says, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then he says, makes a bold statement, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him, which is a reference to to us being the holy ones. Also angelic beings uh, can refer to to the holy ones, Gentile Christians, Jewish believers, angelic beings. And it's the same mentioned in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 14. And uh, the Bible says in verse 6, it describes that day, there'll be no light, you know, cold, frost. It's going to be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time, there, there shall be light. On that day, and like you, you said before, living water shall flow from Jerusalem. So what an incredible, incredible description.
Are we ready to move to the New Testament? Yeah, let's jump to the New Testament. <laughs> now, I'm switching Bibles on you We've here. We've struggled enough yeah. with the Old Testament and wrestled with it. The last time I read Matthew 24 was in my old Bible and studied it, so I have all, all my notes here. Um, well, then you can take the lead on Matthew 24. <laughs> That's great. Well, one thing that'll be helpful as, as you read through this, you have the whole chapter of, of, of Matthew 24. Actually, you have through verse 31 of Matthew uh, 24 is to, is to begin there and understand the occasion and the setting in which Jesus said these things. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 24 says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to call his attention to its buildings. So they're walking and they're looking at the beautiful you know, building, you know, out courts of the temple and, 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 and around Jerusalem. And Jesus says, do you see all these things? I tell you, not one stone will be left on the yep. other and every nation will be torn down. Yes. Um, or every, excuse me, every one of them, every, every one will be torn down. So Jesus prophesies that this temple, this beautiful temple that... The Israelites all come and and they, and they worship the you know, they worship God. They make sacrifices. That um, this temple will be torn down, and and that's a prophecy yes. that has been fulfilled, fulfilled in seventy A.D. Uh, the the historian Josephus um, made a made a remark about about this, and he said they still focus on the temple. Jesus had already insisted that Israel. Um, do, that what Israel does with him, not the temple, determines the fate of the temple in Israel nationally, yeah. and 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 even his disciples were they had a, a walking tabernacle there with them, yes. and they were focused on on the temple. Yes. Um, so that as in verse three it says, as they as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, "Tell us when will this? Well, what is this? That's the destruction." of the temple, when yes. will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they're, they're really, they may not understand that they're asking more than one question, <laughs> but Jesus did. Uh, so Jesus a- answers both of those. The first is, when will this particular event happen? Then when, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Um, so Jesus goes in to describe the conditions in which will proceed and his second coming. And one thing that you may want to do as you're reading, and I'll say this and then I'll, I'll give you some, <laughs> some time, is compare the events that Jesus describes here in the next few verses to Revelation chapter 6. And you're going to see how they line up with the beginning of what we know to be the tribulation. Yes. Time. Uh, yes. Following the rapture of the church. Right. And and one of the the big key hermeneutic markers is is found in verse fifteen where it talks about the abomination yep. of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, and that happens right in the middle of the tribulation where the antichrist comes on the scene. The first three and a half years, you know, he wins over the people through peace and safety and. Um, but now in the middle of the tribulation, he walks into the temple and he sits on the throne and establishes himself as a god. He stops all sacrifices and all ceremonial worship and he, he places himself on the throne as, as God. And so 
that little phrase is, is something you need to learn because you're going to see it other places in the Bible, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel uh, the prophet. And so this was still a, a future uh, abomination, a future event. And so it, was, it started in 70 A.D. with the Roman mm-hmm. leader Titus uh, when he invited Jerusalem and destroyed, uh, invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and so forth. Uh, but Paul saw still a future fulfillment as we get over into Second Thessalonians chapter 2 in just a minute. So, so the Antichrist, he, evidently he either walks in and sets himself, or he could even set an image, some discussion about that inside that temple. And so uh, that'll be in the middle of the, of the tribulation. So we see that that's a helpful marker yeah. in in understanding where does where does this this truth that Jesus shares about things that are yet to come where does this fit in on a timeline where does it fit into what we know from other portions of the Bible about Bible Bible prophecy so we see that there are three and a half years of of, of tribulation that that are that are not what we would learn in other parts of the Bible the great tribulation uh, that 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 the tribulation, once this event happens in verse 15, it will become more intense. And uh, we see in verse 21, there will be times of great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Yes. Uh, so we, we see that the, the, the situation preceding Jesus' second coming is going to be the most tumultuous time the world has ever seen, bar yes. none. Yes. And uh, another hermeneutical marker is found in verse 29. He says, immediately, and do you have the New King James? I have the New International Version here. What what is the next word in verse 29? Immediately after. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its life, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be uh, shaken. Verse 30 says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So it tells us immediately after the tribulation, this is when this second advent of Christ, the coming of Christ, when he touches down on planet earth, uh, takes place. Absolutely. And so if you read chapter 24 and you try to read the rapture in it, it will, it'll, you'll be confused. As somebody said, you'll be as confused as a, as a termite in a yo-yo. Um, well, uh, those words immediately after the tribulation and then verse 30, then will appear in heaven the Son of Man, these are good timers and markers to help us understand when this is going to take place. Absolutely. And at the, at the end, verse 31, which is the, the very last verse in, in our assigned reading, it says, He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one from the end of the heavens to the other. So we, you, who are those elect? You, we can look around at other passages of Scripture. I have you written down here, Isaiah chapter 27, um, verse 12 and on, speaks to that it will be Israel and the Old Testament saints 
from Israel and and the and and those who are believers in Jesus sure. will be will be gathered and will join Jesus at his appearing at his second coming. Yeah. I had someone ask me a few months ago um, what are the the four winds, you know, the from from one end of heaven to the other. And of course those four winds could also be markers of north, south, east and and west and uh, from the four ends of the earth as one passage says. And so uh, Matthew chapter 24 is a is an incredible chapter and uh, it's a, a key chapter to understanding uh, the second advent of Christ, not the first coming of Christ, but the second advent of, of Christ. And so uh, he tells us we don't know the day, the hour, um, in verse 36. So what do you think about those verses, verse 36? Well, that's, that's often sometimes used, I guess we could say incorrectly, to, dis- to describe the rapture. And right. what this what this is what this is saying is that no one will know. And even even if you, I'm going to get my other Bible back out here. Even if if you, if you look back to verse twenty twenty six, it says, "If anyone tells you there he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Um, for as lightning comes um, from the east and is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That that no one will know. He's going to come as as fast as lightning." Uh, no one will anticipate will anticipate this this second coming of Jesus. Does Jesus know? Well, it's really unusual. But concerning that day and hour, n- no one knows—not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, mm-hmm. but the Father only. And then he tells us descriptors for for descriptors for as the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And uh, for in those days. Before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And, and that's a, a picture of salvation. And the flood is a picture of the judgment mm-hmm. of God. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so those are, those are powerful verses. <laughs> they are. I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not going to be around for that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank the Lord for yes, that. Thank God. For sure. We've been saved from God's wrath. You know, we've not been appointed to wrath. I think Paul says in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5, I believe. One verse, I can't remember those verses, <laughs> but we've not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation or, or deliverance. And that soteriology is referring to deliverance from any type of the wrath of God, why would we as a believer be the focus of the wrath of God when he has shed his blood on the cross and the cross is a picture of the wrath of God? Jesus took all of our wrath on the cross, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. One of my Old Testament professors at, in school, Dr. Ed Heinsohn, would always say that the church is the object of Christ's love, hmm. not his wrath. That's awesome. And you see that, you see that throughout Scripture. Yes. Um, Yes. Our final, or we're not quite at our final passage, but we're moving on to Second Thessalonians chapter one. Uh, we're in verses one through twelve, so we're going to be reading through the whole the whole chapter on that day, and it's speaking of Jesus's second coming once again. Um, and 
once you get past the greeting, and I always like, I always love to read the greetings in those yeah. in those letters that were right. written by Paul. They're always nuggets of of, of truth and um, things to things to consider. But the the passage really in starts in verse five describing um, the second coming of God. It says, "This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering." Now, how would we understand that as believers? Are we suffering in God's kingdom now? No, God's kingdom is not a kingdom in which believers were suffering, but we're suffering in anticipation of oh, being being in, in glory with yes. Jesus and being a part of his, his, his earthly kingdom. Yes. And then he says in verse 6, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with, repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Notice, he says, when, that's a timing element, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with, here it is, angels again, in flaming fire, inflicting judgment or vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. And then those two words really get me in verse 9. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of, of his, his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. And so one thing for sure, we know that those two words away from the presence, well, he's not talking about annihilation. Eternal destruction is forever and forever in, in the lake of fire. And uh, so uh, that's, that's pretty staggering when you think about it. Absolutely. We see here there are really two categories of people. You know, we, we live in a world that divides people up on quite a few different <laughs> categories. We see here, and it's, it's, it's a serious thing, that really there are those who know God and those who don't know God. Yes. We see that in verse, verse number 8. And, and that will be the basis upon which how people spend eternity. Yes. Um, and you, there is an eternal destruction. There's, there will be an eternal, an eternal hell, an eternal lake of fire in which people will receive no reprieve from. Um, and that should, that should be a reminder to us just how important our, our mission is yes. um, that, that Jesus gave us to, to preach the gospel um, and take the gospel around the world. Yeah, and then chapter 2 talks about the man of lawlessness. And I know that's not a part of our reading, but uh, again, that would be Antichrist. Yes, it would. And, uh, yes, it would. So we, we see here once again... I'm tempted to go into chapter two, but I'm going to try not to. But, you know, <laughs> once once again, we see in verse four of chapter two, it's it's that's that same marker, that same timeline marker. Um, he that takes his seat in the temple of God, yes. proclaiming himself to be God. That's another reference to that abomination of desolation that we exactly. we get from Daniel chapter nine. Um, we we see that here. So we, we're talking about Jesus's second coming. Yeah. Um, and so he again. takes his seat in the temple of God. He's proclaiming himself to be God. And so those are uh, unbelievable words spoken by Antichrist during this abomination of desolation. It may be helpful to point out, too, that Second Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2 are not written chronologically. Uh, they're written to deal with two different 
two different right. topics or subjects of prophecy. The first is Jesus' judgment at his second coming, and the second zooms in on this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist. So we, we see Jesus' second coming in chapter 1. We see the Antichrist in chapter 2. It's important to remember that nowhere in this in this epistle is, is it indicated that this is written chronologically. Right. These are dealing with two different events right. um, that, that don't happen one after the other. Yeah, the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And, and evidently, when you look at the first part of chapter 2, someone had maybe wrote a letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and forged Paul's name and told them that the rapture had already taken place. And Paul says, look, I don't want you to be shaken in mind. Don't be alarmed because that's not going to happen. That, that's not going to happen unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, he's going to be revealed, the son of destruction. And so that gives us the whole context of it, and uh, that, that, that helps us. Now, the, the second reading there on Friday is in the book of Titus. And did you know that Titus has prophetic, prophetic material in it? We have Titus chapter 2. We're looking at a short, a short passage, so you, this is, you tag that on to your Second Thessalonians reading. We're just in verses 11 through 14. It says, "...the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation." All people training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly possessions, and to live self-controlled, upright in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope at the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's that reference to the second coming, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession. Yes. And we see here a reminder of of, of that we will be, we will be, Working for Jesus, working with Jesus, we will be we will be with Him yes, forever. Yes. From that point on, from from that point on, Amen. So. And uh, this this blessed hope uh, is a is a beautiful terminology where He says we're waiting. We as believers are waiting for our mm-hmm. blessed hope. He says our He calls it our blessed hope and the appearing, the epiphany of of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And so this same Savior who redeemed us from all lawlessness, he's, he's coming back for, for his church. And so these are just incredible. I, I, I love verse number 11 where it talks about the grace of God. Jesus Christ, you know, what does John tell us? John 1, 11, uh, was full of grace and truth. And what a, what a balance. Uh, Christ is so so gracious, and uh, we who have received the grace of God because he's brought us salvation. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. We can't ever comprehend this grace until we get to heaven, but the more and more I'm saved, I want to enjoy this, this grace. I, I like how it says it's, it's bringing salvation. Who's it offered to? For all offered people. to all people. Yeah. Uh, so there's no one. There's no one that. There's no one that Jesus didn't die for. There's no one that's outside of the saving power of God. Yes. Um, yes. There's no one who can't be saved into into a life that's looking to that blessed hope. Yes. And we're reminded that we receive we receive rewards. Those are, those who are looking to looking forward to Christ's appearing. Uh, that's something that's going to matter eternally. That's right. The way that we position ourselves and posture ourselves spiritually. Yes. 
Um, that's a good reminder, I think, in, in the days in which we live, we're watching the news, we're watching things happening around the world, and we, we can remember that it's okay to watch the news um, but our, 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 our job isn't to connect all the dots and the blood right. moons. Our job sure. is to look for Jesus. Exactly. Um, so, Exactly. Is, is it incredible that we've been talking about the second coming all week and only until Saturday, it's not until Saturday, get into Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but we end uh, at the end. We ended the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 19, and Revelation deals with a lot of what the tribulation will will be like. Yes. Um, that's probably the majority yes. of the book. Um, and in chapter 19, we begin to see Jesus' second coming um, as you as you read through. And we have the whole chapter of science. So you get a whole chat, you get to spend your Saturday morning before you take your kids to the uh, to the soccer games, um, sit down and read this read this passage and, uh, one thing I did was I circled every time the word hallelujah appears. Yes. Uh, and it, it, it appears four times, and we hear, uh, we open by chapter 19. This is at the end of, this is the end of the tribulation. What, what ends the tribulation? Jesus does. It says, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah. Uh, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And, and, and there's this refrain that we see in this chapter. Chapter yes. 19 reminds me of chapter, num, chapters number 4 and 5 of Revelation, uh, where we see the, the scene at the throne of heaven. Yes. Um, and yes. We, then it, it's almost like, the, the, almost like a TV show that flips between two different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And, and, and after chapter number 4, it, 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 the camera focuses down on earth, and then in chapter 19, the camera pans back up to heaven as the saints are preparing to follow Jesus down to earth. Well, and when you get to chapter 4, there's no more mention of the church until mm-hmm. you get over here. What is it, Revelation 21? But no more mention. It, this this is a heavenly scene in chapter 4 forward, and in verse number 4, he talks about the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. You see that again in chapter 4. You don't see that in chapter 1, 2, or 3. No. And some believe that the 24 elders are the redeemed of the church age. I think we're pretty clear that the four living creatures are the seraphims, angelic beings uh, who who worship God continually. And there they again say, Amen and Hallelujah. Hallelujah. From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear him, small and great. So it's a pretty incredible heavenly scene. <laughs> incredible. And in verse 6, you have the final hallelujah yep. there, uh, the refrain from the, the multitude that's shouting says, For the Lord God Almighty reigns. So it's important to remember that we're thankful that the, as Christians we don't we don't have to suffer in the tribulation. But even during the most tumultuous time the world has ever seen, Jesus is still reigning. Yes, uh, he's still he's still in charge, yes. um, and nothing is happening outside of his outside of his purview. Um, but as we get, get to chapter eleven, things start things start happening. Um, in verse eleven, it says, "I saw heaven standing open, and before me was a white horse." And we can go back to um, Revelation chapter six, uh, verse two, and we can see that. Uh, when the uh, when the Antichrist um, 
curtain comes down. Um, he was on a white horse, but he didn't have the crown that right. Jesus had. An or will have. He was an imposter. So we see the true king, we see you know, the true Christ coming on a white horse, um, whose rider is called Faithful and True with Justice. He wages war, and this reminds me of um, some of Revelation chapter 1, the vision the, when Jesus appeared before John. Yeah. His eyes are like blazing fire, yeah. and on his head are many crowns. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's a, an incredible scene with this, this white horse and this one who's called Faithful and True, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And it's it's so important that, you know, the entire context of the Bible, when you interpret, especially future things, and to have a hermeneutic, um, for, for instance, and I, I, this may not be the best place to insert this, but in Luke chapter 17, 17, every Christian needs to memorize this verse because uh, verse number 17 is, is a time where, uh, or is it Luke 16, 16, the hermeneutical marker, marker it says, up until, you know, uh, the Old Testament. The law and the prophets were up to John the Baptist. And then we have this offer to, of the kingdom of God to the nation of Israel, and they reject this kingdom. And then we have in this parenthesis called the church age, and it's it's helpful that you and I learn uh, some of these hermeneutical markers. That's Luke 16, 16. Luke for 16, those, those 16. That are taking notes. Yeah, so you, you may want to memorize Luke 16, 16. It says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then... The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and, and everyone forces his way into it. And uh, so uh, it, it, it helps us to un understand when you get to the book of Acts, you're transitioning out of the Old Testament into the church age. And um, uh, what, what great, great verses to help us to understand these markers and this period as we're moving into the church age. It's it's interesting too that we see Jesus in a in a way that maybe doesn't always appear on the flannel graph from Sunday school. Uh, we see Jesus as a mighty warrior, oh, uh, the most fearsome warrior that the world yes. will ev have ever seen. And it's interesting to see in verse nineteen, you have the beast and the kings of the earth. They gather to wage war. There's a lot of gathering to wage war. Yes, and you would imagine it would be the greatest conflict in the history of the world, but we find no. No writing of there being a conflict because Jesus in his power, it says the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. Uh, so we see Jesus by, 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 by the word of his mouth, by his strength and by his power, uh, turns the greatest assembly of world armies in the history of mankind. Yeah into a, a, a non-starter. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you need to understand that the beast in verse 19, that's Antichrist, mm -hmm. and uh, the false prophet, well, that may be de be determined. But who the beast is, that's still to be to determine. There's some who even, even believe it could be Judas because Judas is called the son of perdition. Paul calls uh, Antichrist the, the son of perdition in what is it, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Mm -hmm. And uh, so the Bible says in verse 20, and the beast was captured 
and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And it tells us the final state. These two were thrown, and I think this is unusual, they were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Uh, that's pretty, pretty descriptive, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And then it says, as, as we were mentioning in verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth yes. of the rider of the horse. So Jesus yes. defeats this massive army with his words. Yes. And so that sword is a description. This two-edged sword is a description of his word. And th- does it say in verse 13, he's clothed in a robe dipped in his blood and yes. the name which he is called is the word of God. And so uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So pretty powerful stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and kind of a sh- you, you may want to do this if you have some time today. Is it's kind of a shame we don't get to get into Revelation chapter 20 because um, that, that describes the conditions during which uh, Jesus will execute those thousand years and, and rule and reign on, on earth. Uh, but it's, it's, it's wonderful to know uh, that there will be a day when Fox News will have nothing to cover <laughs> other than good stories. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, and we will we'll rule and reign with Jesus. Um, there will be peace on earth, yes. and uh, that, 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 is, that is part of that blessed hope that, 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 that we, we talked about the day before. Well, thank you, Matt. So. I appreciate it, and I've enjoyed this, our discussion today, and um, I hope you've enjoyed it too. Have a great day. See you.